0: And we are excited that today, you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family. and We invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbadges at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbadges. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus. to see you this morning glad that you're here glad that you're with us online this morning and worshiping uh just a couple of things uh first let me say a word of thank you to Susie lavenu sunday school class and all those that helped uh friday and saturday with uh debbie Hutchison's uh, funeral uh we had a uh a good time of, of ministering to uh richie and the family and I'll just say that uh you made it so easy to love them and to minister to them and to celebrate her life so i want to thank you guys for all that you did uh, this weekend for that Uh, don't forget you can uh, go online and give you could uh, uh, send it in through the mail p.o box 241 and also uh, you can drop it in the box or just get it to us and we'll be sure that it gets where you want it to go Uh, so uh, be sure to do that and we'll be praying in a moment for our offerings the really only announcement that we've got we've got the Deacon's meeting set for September the 6th that's coming up we'll do that even though that's uh, Labor Day weekend we're gonna do that right after the uh, morning service so guys plan on that and then just so that you know uh, we are going to be uh, watching and observing really really close uh, how everything goes with the schools reopening And if everything goes good and there's no major breakouts, then uh, starting in October we're going to look to try to reopen some things. Some of the ministries with our children in particular, uh, they have been a long time without being able to be together uh, and do some things. So uh, we want to be uh, in prayer that things continue to go in a better direction. And this morning as we pray for our offering, uh, I do want us to pray for our teachers, our kids. I want us to pray for uh, uh, all of those who are involved in uh, our uh, schools to, for uh, safety. I know that it's a major concern and, uh, and not only do we want to covet to pray this morning with them uh, and for them, but uh, uh, particularly this whole week as everything begins to open back up. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll continue worshiping together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for uh, your love and grace. I thank you, Father, for the church's uh, loving heart, the way that they ministered to uh, Richie and Debbie this weekend, and made just uh, uh, made it so easy to uh, show your grace in a very real and visible way. And, and, lo- and Lord, we love them, and we just continue to lift up Richie and the family to you uh, as uh, they... Uh, uh, grieve over uh, Debbie. Uh, her life is uh, a life worth celebrating and uh, she was such a great example for us. But Lord we will miss her. But we know that she's with you and and we're thankful Lord that she's not suffering uh, with cancer and, and hurting anymore. Lord I also pray this morning for the offering. We lift that up to you. Uh, your gifts Lord that uh, come in. Uh, we pray all those things be uh, to your glory and honor to the use of the kingdom work and lord just help us to be faithful uh, to continue to be good stewards as you lead us and direct us in that and then finally lord this morning we pray for our schools we pray for our, all those that are in administration those that are teaching those that uh, are there working as uh, class aides and helpers we pray lord for every student and every family of every student lord as as this kind of nervous time of getting back together in a social way uh, brings about the fear of uh, what uh, might happen with COVID. Lord, the numbers have been moving down nationally. We're thankful for that. Things seem to be improving. And Lord, we uh, hear word that there might even be a vaccine, uh, perhaps a cure before very long. And we're praying for that. But all these things, God, we know are in your hands and your grace is more than sufficient. And we know that you are a God that can do all things. And we just look to you in faith. And until then, Lord, I... Uh, we just continue to be faithful to, to to, following what it is that you want done and and to take any uh, crises and, and use that, Lord, as an opportunity to minister uh, to your glory and honor. But so we lift up uh, our kids and teachers particularly. In your name, Jesus, we pray today. Amen. Once you stand with us as we continue to worship.
1: The There is no one like you uh, there is, There's no one beside you No one above you There's no one anywhere near the God that you are You are the living God The God of all creation The one who sustains everything Who stain, sustains us Lord We can never say thank you enough For all the blessings that you've given us Lord And even in, even in times of trouble We know you're there with us You're going to walk through those times with us You're going to be there with us And you'll never ever leave us or forsake us to the end of the age, Lord. And we thank you for that promise that we have because of what you've done on the cross and because we've asked you to be our Lord and our Savior and to forgive us of our sins, Lord. We love you again. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, you can be seated.
2: Second. god of creation there at the start before the beginning of time It's no point of reference I spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder praise you so lost your life so I could find mine here. If you left the grave behind you so
0: thank you daniel y'all be in prayer for daniel i know that uh and you probably know it daniel's finished with school and uh, now he's on to that next chapter and journey uh in his life he has uh, surrendered uh, to the call uh christian ministry through music particularly and uh, i know that he's going to be interviewing with churches in the uh weeks coming up so be in prayer for him that god would show him and reveal to him his will for his life and his ministry and uh, I know, I know, Daniel, uh, I'm not just the only one here, but we're all so very proud of you. All right. We're proud of all our young people, but anytime someone says that uh, they're going to give their life to the Lord in, in, in vocation, uh, it's especially a proud moment for the church. Take your Bible this morning and open to Matthew 19. And I want to look at verse 4 with you. We're in a series called The God Questions, exploring the great questions of uh, our faith or the great, great questions about God. We've talked about, is God real? Is there really a God? We've talked about heaven and hell itself. We've talked about good and evil. We've talked about the why of suffering. And then last week, we entered into the cultural context and debate of same-sex unions uh, and uh, relationships. And we talked about where the Bible comes down upon that. Actually, that message, the message today and the message next week are really all part of the same kind of uh, thought in in some ways. They're connected uh, because they're connected by way of what we think about who we are In particularly, uh, as we think about gender and uh, our particular sex or sexuality. And uh, so this morning we're going to spend time thinking about this topic, God and gender. And then uh, next week uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the gender roles uh, that are there in the Bible, male and female, and particularly... Uh, how that spells out into the church itself. So, uh, that's where we're going to be at next week. And, uh, and they're all really interconnected. Uh, last week's, this week's, and uh, next week's message. But I want to read for you just one verse today. We read a lot last week, but we'll just look at one today. And this is the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 19, verse 4. And Jesus answered them this, Have you not read that he who created them... From the beginning, made them male and female. In 2001, Katie Hudson recorded a song, Faith Won't Fail. Listen to the lyrics of this young Christian artist as she writes this song, Faith Won't Fail. You could throw me in the fire and I won't be burned. My faith is your desire and your love endures. You can throw me in the prison cell, shackle me up against the rail, but time and time again, my faith won't fail, for he'll prevail. In the midst of all my trials and tribulation, and he'll prevail. In the midst of all my sin and temptations, he'll prevail. And when I'm fail, and he'll pick me up, from time and time again, my faith won't fail. From time and time again, my faith won't fail And then she goes on to say, you could throw me in the lion's den, but they won't harm me for your grace surrounds me and sets me free. It shouldn't surprise you that this young Christian artist would record such a song, write such a song. She grew up uh, as a minister child, as a minister's child. Matter of fact, both her parents were ministers there in California. She was only allowed to listen to christian music as she grew up and really her mother only let her read the bible other books she says in her biography uh, were not even allowed to be read or uh, looked at outside of textbooks of course Uh, she even says in her biography that uh, the phrase deviled eggs was not even allowed to be uttered in her uh, home so she came from a very traditional very conservative very christian home However, by 2008, she had changed her name and she recorded another song. It had reached number one in the pop charts and actually is tied for the longest stay at number one in the pop charts in 2008. The song in which she wrote, the song in which she sang tells this story. You may notice, uh, you may remember it, you may have heard it, but here's some of the lyrics. And I debated whether or not to do this because I thought if I do this, you'll just keep the lyrics in your head all morning for some of you. But anyway, it drives home the point. This was never the way I planned, not my intention. I got so brave, drink in hand, I lost my discretion. It is not what uh, what I'm used to. I just want to try you on. I'm curious for you caught my attention. I kissed a girl and I liked it. The taste of her cherry chapstick. I kissed a girl just to try it. I hope my boyfriend don't mind it. It felt so wrong. It felt so right. Don't mean I'm in love tonight. I kissed a girl and I liked it. Well, that artist is known today as Katy Perry. The song in which she sang really speaks to the confusion that exists today in America. You can see the difference between where she was at in 2001 and where she was at in 2008. And I want to say that there is much confusion today when it comes to the topic of sexuality. I want to give you a quote. It's a rather long quote from Hunter Levine. And I also want to encourage young parents to get my notes so that you can get the information uh, on Hunter Levine. Hunter Levine is a student director at the City Church of uh, Tallahassee, Florida. He's been there since he was 16 years of age. He's in his 30s now, so he's been there uh, for quite a while. His bio and his, bio his life describes him as a passionate pastor to the next generation, and he gets a unique opportunity to serve alongside of his wife, Hannah, who leads the church ministry uh, there. But anyway, Hunter wrote a book, he and his wife together, Gender, A Conversation Guide for Parents and Pastors. In the book, let me just say, uh, I've read through a good portion of it, uh, really is written for young children, and how parents can uh, speak to kids on the subject of God and gender. But in an article uh, that was written at the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary where he had spoke, uh, the article entitled, Don't Assume Scripture's View of Gender. I want you to listen to what Hunter Levine says, all right? He says, in our cities, schools and churches and homes, there's a conversation today happening about gender. The question is not, will this conversation happen? But rather, will we be willing to speak with conviction and clarity? Many parents and pastors do not feel the need to address the issues surrounding gender. They feel as though what is happening out in the world has not and will not impact their lives, families, or churches. We cannot ignore the conversation surrounding us, Hunter says. As people who have the Word of God... We cannot sit silently while the world speaks. There is too much at stake. We must engage and lead the conversation. Ignoring won't work. If we do not want to have the conversation with our children and in our churches, someone else will. Every time a child turns on a television show, walks onto a school campus, shops at a clothing store, or hops on their phone, a conversation is happening. MAINSTREAM MEDIA UNDERSTANDS THE VALUE IN SHAPING THE MINDS OF THE YOUNGER GENERATION. THEY EASE INTO THEIR AGENDA WITH AN UNASSUMING AND STRATEGIC WAY. AND THEY DO NOT SHY AWAY FROM SUCH CONTROVERSIAL ISSUES. CARTOONS TODAY MAKE STATEMENTS ABOUT GENDER. MUSIC MAKES STATEMENTS ABOUT GENDER. CELEBRITIES MAKE STATEMENTS ABOUT GENDER. THE CONVERSATION, HE SAYS, IS HAPPENING. On campuses, there has been a movement away from the traditional and biblical views of gender. In some places, these views are outright rejected. Clothing stores have decided how they will market and present their clothing. Male side, female side, gender-neutral clothing, restrooms are changing. The conversation, he says, is happening. The question is not will it happen, but rather will we show up, and will we lead that conversation and then finally i want to give you what i call the big quote from his article and why we are in this message and why it is a must today listen to what he says gender will become a wedge between this generation and the word of god we need to understand that the conversation today the push of gender today is a push to drive a wedge between what the world says and what God has to say. I want to say to you this morning too that this was not a particular easy message to, to work on this week and for the last couple of weeks. I was speaking with Kyle earlier, we were just talking about the message this morning and I was telling him, I said you would be amazed when you begin to study uh, what is out there as opposed to what is out there for Christianity and Christians as a matter of fact, let me just say to you in my research. I could really only find one legitimate book one book Written by a professor of, of Southern seminary and We're gonna talk about him and I'm gonna give some quotes from him later on but really only one book written That has a Christian biblical worldview Now let me just say there is a tidal way there is a tsunami there are mountains of other books that take on a cultural worldview of the this conversation of gender, and so I was just overwhelmed this week to think you've got to be kidding me. As for Christians, we have such little to draw from. Uh, the church and, and, and uh, theologians really have not addressed this main cultural issue, and there is a real deficit among material in which we can begin to draw and shape. And understand why we believe what we believe and I want to tell you today the Christian Church faces a major challenge and I believe it may be a challenge that has exceeded anything that we have experienced in the past and including what we talked about last week when we talked about same-sex unions we are truly living now in the fruit of our cultural collective sexual revolution today culture is in overdrive to fundamentally restructure our understanding of what family society and listen what life itself truly means what makes the current moral and sexual revolution so different from previous moral revolutions is that today it is taking place with an unprecedented velocity in previous generations those experienced cultural revolutions it 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 Those would take place over decades and sometimes over centuries before change would happen. But today, dear friend, they are happening within months and weeks and sometimes even days. Complete cultural norms are being changed and rewritten. And so the question this morning is, well, how as a Christian, how as a church are we to respond to this cultural revolution that's taking place? We need to understand, I think, the debate that's taking place. I think we need to understand the real crises that is happening. And I think we need to understand that on the basic level, it's inescapably and it's uh, irreducibly theological. We've got to see it from God's viewpoint. We've got to see it from God's Word. The crisis of sexual uh, 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 sexuality challenges the church's understanding of what we say the gospel is, what sin is, what salvation is, and what sanctification is those who are pushing for this new revolution of gender, they demand a complete rewriting of what we call the scriptures' meta-narrative. In other words, the stories we get out of the Bible. The stories that don't fit their narrative, get rid of. The stories that they can shape and twist, they would keep. So it's rewriting the Word of God. Also, there's a complete reordering of theology. How we think of God how we see God, and how we see ourselves. And it's also completely changing the fundamental ministry and the mission of the church and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that's to be carried out into this lost world. So I want us to think today, what does the Bible have to say in this debate over gender? What is the church's position? Where does the church stand? What is the evangelical Christian's To do in seeking a strategy that will take back some of the lost territory or or lost ground in the cultural debate. How can we restate the issue so others understand what the Bible says and why we believe what we believe. One of the great theologians of old B.B. Warfield used to say this. When scripture speaks God speaks. So I think our. First thought must be to turn to scripture and to say what does God have to say I'll be honest with you I wish scripture could be a little clearer concerning today's debate unfortunately though the Bible doesn't really say a whole lot in this area just like in last week's message on uh, same-sex unions and, and homosexuality the Bible says a little bit but it doesn't say a great deal about it the Bible is in the book on homosexuality uh, it's a book on God's redemptive work. It's about God's love for a fallen and broken world. The Bible says a little bit about gender, but it doesn't say a whole lot about gender today. So it's, it's kind of unfortunate that, that there's not a whole lot there to go and get. Uh, as a matter of fact, you can't really have what I call the concordance kind of theology. I don't know if you've ever used a concordance. That was the first book that I got when I... Uh, Uh, Began to preach it was my number one book. It was my go-to book uh, When I was first starting out and then I loved it You could go in there and you could look up any word and you could find where it was at in the Bible and then from there you could begin to develop out a message or a a, a Bible study or or something of the nature But you go into concordance today and you type in or put in the word transgender and just see what pops up You won't find it there will you and so that's the problem it seems as though scripture is a little bit insufficient, but it's not. The problem isn't that scripture doesn't have a lot to say about it. The problem is that when, as we approach scripture, we don't approach it with understanding with what God is saying about what he says and when he says it and how he says it. It's a problem of rightly interpreting the word of God as it applies to today and in particularly this debate. So when we use that word this morning, transgender, what's your gut reaction? When you hear it on TV, when you read it, what do you think about? For many, that word is a word that causes us to get defensive. It's a word that, that, that we feel passionate about. It's a word that kind of raises up the hair on the back of our neck. But at its heart, at the heart of this debate, let me say this morning, it's about precious people Who are made in the image of God it's about people who are confused many who are angry many who are scared and many who fear rejection and many who have been rejected by the very people that all of us hold most dear in life and that's family themselves in many ways we feel that culture is moving us down the road so fast for this cultural crash that any time that we are confronted with this kind of term or this kind of thought we just push back and we just lash out in defense but yet let me just say this morning that what's happening and some of what's happening in this world today is a good thing because it's it's forcing us to deal with those who are hurting it's forcing us to look at those who are suffering for what we call gender identity Crisis. it's forcing us to take a look at the lostness of their humanity and the church needs to be more open the church needs to have a better honest conversation about this area like so many other areas because there are people on the other side of our doors that need to hear the good news of the lord jesus i want to remind you that jesus was always open and honest with sinners The Bible says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. But I will say this to those that may be living in rebellion against God and his word. That Jesus was also honest with the sinner. He was also direct with the sinner. And he didn't dismiss sin. And he confronted sin. And he called for repentance. But as Christians we need to be open to sinners. And loving. And caring. So really two points this morning. Number one. What does the Bible mean when it says transgender, or when you hear transgender? What does the Bible mean, or or what does does it mean to be transgender, or what does it mean to be non-binary? Now, that's a confusing term today. Transgender people are a people whose gender identity is different from the gender that they were born with, or different in, in terms of what they thought they were born Most people, including transgender people, identify either as male or female. However, some of them don't fit nearly into that category as man or woman or male or female. For example, some people have a gender that blends elements of being man or woman or a gender that's different from either male or female. Some people don't identify with any gender. And uh, so now there's all this confusion today. You hear all of these different terms. And we need to understand as Christians, that, that there are some people who have genuine gender dysphoria or gender confusion. And it's a very real thing. It is a real thing. Most of us would have to admit we've met some people that didn't really fit in their body. You ever looked at someone and said, you know, that boy looks like a girl. or you ever seen a girl that looks like a boy? Or have you ever seen anybody where you go, is that a boy or a girl? I was going down the road the other day and I looked at a... I really don't know what I was looking at. I couldn't figure out boy or girl. I, tried, I, I about broke my neck and crashed the car trying to figure out boy or girl. We've met people that don't really seem to fit their body. And we don't know just from the outside what, what sex maybe they really are. Listen, not only is this a real thing on the outside sometimes, it is a very real thing on the inside. As a matter of fact, why don't we just confess there are times that you and I don't like the way we feel on the inside. You ever looked at someone and said, boy, I wish I had their hair? You ever looked at someone and said, I wish I had their muscles or had her legs or her curves, you know, had those facial features? Sure, we, we look at people sometimes and, and we, we say, well, I, I kind of wish I looked like them or I, I would feel better identifying more like them. But for those who are suffering from gender dysphoria or confusion, what they're feeling In in likeness to what we typically sometimes feel is amplified and multiplied to the hundredth degree. To the point that they're not sure who they are. Now instead of disgust, instead of disdain, instead of uh, hatred, as Christians we ought to love them with a heart of love. As Christians we need to understand that there is a correct biblical response to people who are struggling. And that response is real simple, it's love. It's how shall we see this issue? How shall we see those who are suffering from this issue? And more importantly, we need to understand that there is someone or some family out there who has a real struggle with this. It's not just individuals that struggle. There are entire families that are being ripped apart and who are hurting over the fact that they have one and sometimes multiple people in their family who have this gender confusion. And let me say this morning that what I'm going to give you is really a dumbed-down answer, but I think it's the important answer that we need. It's the general answer that gives us the big picture as to what's going on and how do we answer it. I was thinking about how to describe it to you, and I I, kind of had this idea. You don't have to understand heart surgery to give somebody CPR, do you? Right? You don't have to understand all the medical complexities or the medical complexities of of psychiatry and whatnot to understand uh, or to help somebody that's suffering from gender confusion. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we kind of back away because, well, that's something medical science needs to deal with or something psychologically that needs to be dealt with by a professional. And granted, there may be some deep underlying issues that need to be addressed or dealt with that that is going on with someone suffering from it. But there is a basicness that you and I need to understand in which we can help people rightly find how to live in a relationship with a holy and loving and forgiving God. So that brings us to the second topic, and that is this. What is the biblical worldview of this issue? And it's real simple, really dumbed down. I want to give it to you in a statement. It's really our life application today, our major one, and it's this. We live in a Genesis 3 world with a Genesis 1 blueprint on the trajectory to a Revelation 21 future. Now, I want you just to look at that and think about that for a moment. We live in a Genesis 3 world. Well, what's Genesis 3? It's the fall. It's when Adam and Eve sinned. And listen, the curse of judgment came upon this world. Adam suffered. Eve suffered. Listen, this world suffered. The very planet suffered. Cosmos suffered. Everything was tainted and stained and, and became broken. Every cell, every atom Became tainted with the brokenness of sin death entered into this world We live in a genesis 3 world. We live in a broken world But the blueprint for this world the master plan for this world is what genesis 1 God's perfect design. We're going to talk about this a lot next week as we talk about gender and gender roles and particularly gender roles in the church Because this Genesis 1 blueprint is very important. It's very important as to how God wants you and I to understand his word and his mission here in this world to be uh, in a redemptive uh, mission. But the good news is what? You and I are going to live one day in a Revelation 21 future. We're going to have a new body. We're going to have a perfected body. And there won't be, listen, not only will there not be any sin, sorrow, or sickness, we said this yesterday at Debbie's funeral, you know, bless her heart, she'll never have to worry about cancer again. She don't have to even worry about going to the doctor again. She's forever and forever whole and perfect. Dear friend, there will be a day there will never be a thing such as gender confusion. There will never be this dysphoria that exists in people today. We are on a trajectory to Revelation 21. So, so we need to understand that's what the Bible is teaching us. But understand this, that culture today is saying this. And here's the key difference. Culture says today, gender is something you learn. It's not something you are. Culture today says you can choose for yourself who you want to be. In other words, it can be fluid. It can change. Furthermore, we need to understand that the gender debate is tied tied tightly to what we talked about last week in terms of same-sex and homosexuality. And to push back on gender is to push back on that debate as well. And if you push back on either one, you're going to be called a bigot or perhaps a sexist. The main argument is this. People have a right to be happy. People have a right to be who they want to be, who they feel to be. And the culture says we are cruel, unloving, because we're denying people the right to live as they wish and as they want. I want to say the answer to that is no. I want to say we can act cruelly if we aren't careful, but we are not cruel if in love we explain the biblical standard and the expectation of God. Well, what is that? Go back to our statement. We live in a Genesis 3 world uh, with a Genesis 1 blueprint on a trajectory to a Revelation 21 future. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has a will. And if you've been born, and you are born a male, and you may feel like a female, God's will for you is to be a male. If you are a female, born a female... You may feel like a male. You may identify more with males. But God's will for you is to be who you were born to be, to identify as who you were born to be. You may not know how you feel. You may say, well, I I feel this kind of non-binary fluidity thing. Sometimes I feel this way, sometimes I feel this way, sometimes I feel that way. Dear friend, you are meant to be who you were born to be. Now, as we said last week, your cross may be to carry this confusion through life, this mixed up feeling through life. One of the greatest testimonies uh, that I've heard in all of my life. I I heard last week, I was watching a uh, fellow, Sam Alwood, I think it was his name, uh, and he was sharing his life story. And he'll tell you today, he says, I'm a guy. I have no attraction to women whatsoever. I do have same-sex attraction. He said, however, I realize that is sin. I realize that is not what God made me to be. It's not what God's word says I should be. And he says I live my life in celibacy, committed unto God. And he said God has given me a rich, full, rewarding life with with other levels of intimacy that connect me to His His His, his body. And to his person in this world. And he said I just know that's where I have to live my life. To his glory. And he's a wonderful testimony. But he said it's not a cross that anyone would choose to carry through life. He said I didn't get a say in it. God didn't ask me Sam is this going to be okay. He said that's just what God gave me. He said however there are other people who carry other crosses just as hard. And we have no doubt about the fact that they are to. Live their life to the glory of God. He said, it's no different for me. And it's no different for someone who is struggling with gender confusion. You are still called to live to the glory of God. Let me close. I want to give you, I had mentioned Andrew, uh, his name is Andrew Walker. He's an ethics professor at Southern Seminary. And he, the book he wrote is called God in the Transgender Debate. It's an excellent book and worth the read. But I want to read you his last chapter because I think he sums up the debate and the Christian response and the Christian understanding as best as, uh, as I can find it uh, really given so I can give it to you. Let me just say in setting it up that he opens up his book with an image that probably all of us have seen at least on television uh, and all are real uh, familiar with. It is the story of Bruce Jenner. All of us know uh, the Olympian, uh, Bruce Jenner, who the last year or so transitioned over uh, to a woman and now refers to himself as Caitlyn Jenner. And uh, there was a big push uh, to push this upon culture and to uh, put that image out there. And as a matter of fact, Vanity Fair magazine ran a cover photo of Caitlyn Jenner as He calls himself now uh, on that magazine. And he had talked about that in the first chapter. Well, in the last chapter, he comes back and he's going to refer to that photo from Vanity Fair magazine that has who used to be Bruce Jenner, now Caitlyn Jenner on it. I want you to listen to what he says and, and, and what he tells us from the Word of God. In chapter two, I made a fleeting reference to a particular detail of Caitlyn Jenner's famous appearance on the cover of Vanity Fair. It was this, there are no hands visible in the photo. They were out of the shot, placed behind Jenner's back. Andrew says, why mention this again at the end of my book? Well, because the absence of Jenner's hands from the photo was surely intentional. As one blog post by another photographer went viral on Fantasy Fair, said this, one of my mentors has always said a good photograph should stand on its own, meaning it alone tells its story and the backstory is irrelevant. If you accept this, what I see when I look at this image, he said, is a badly posed person looking awkwardly at the camera. I'm confused, the blogger said. Why are the hands hidden? Well, they're very... There are very masculine shoulders, arms, and legs suggest to me that this is a drag queen. Notwithstanding the breast, the flare of the hips, the lack of the Adam's apple, as I know, all of that can be achieved through Photoshop. And that the photographer just did not know what to do with the large, mannish hands. So he decided to tell the subject to hide them. And then Adam says this. Look at your hands right now. If you're a man, it's likely that your hands are longer and thicker than a woman's. There are ruggedness about a man's hands that make them better suited to physical labor. If you're a woman, it's very likely that your hands are smaller than a man's. A woman's hands are more delicate. The bones are smaller. The knuckles don't protrude quite like a man's. They're not as strong or hairy as a man's hands. Why am I finishing this book, he says, about hands? Because the lack of hands on the cover of Vanity Fair, the cover that has done perhaps more than anything else to make gender transition mainstream and attractive tells us a great deal not only about gender struggles for self-acceptance, but about the very nature of the transgender debate. The fact is that in the photo shoot Jenner went to every possible effort to demonstrate femininity. He took every step possible to assert sex appeal as a woman, eyelashes, breast, facial work, but the hands did not and could not follow. And that tells us something. And this is, listen, this is core. Here's what he says. Our existence cannot be remade or recast without the remnants of our true self somehow remaining. In other words, at the core of who we are, we are still who God made us to be. He goes on and says, "...we can try to tamper with God's design, but how he made the world and each of us continues, even when it goes against our will to shine through. Jenner had to hide his hands from the camera because Jenner's male-born hands are a reminder that whatever perception we have of ourselves, we are the objective traits of our true existence." That tell us about who we really are. Our hands don't tell us everything about who we are. But they do remind us about how we have been made. And then he makes this life application. All of us try to hide parts of our existence. Whether physical or emotional. All of us feel some sense of shame about some of the realities of who we are. We humans have been hiding in the, uh, ever since the Garden of Eden. And since that moment, we've all been craving for a stable sense of identity and a deep knowledge of acceptance. And then he says, that takes us to another pair of hands. And he quotes John 20. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came after he had risen from the dead. And so the disciples told him, Have you seen the Lord? But he said to them, Unless I see the hands and the marks of the nails, and the place of my hands and the marks of the nails, and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. And eight days later, his disciples inside again, and with Thomas with them, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And Thomas, and he said to Thomas, put your finger uh, here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side and do not be uh, disbelieving, but believe. And Thomas answered to him and said, my Lord and my God. Jesus proved his resurrection to his doubting disciples by holding out his hands, real resurrected hands with real nail scars. Jesus' hands were and are scars from the cross where he took the brokenness of this world upon himself in order to redeem his creation. His hands were and are a reminder that he was broken so that you and I can be restored, mind, heart, and body. And praise God, Andrew says this, we have a God with scars. He knows our brokenness. He knows what brokenness feels like. He offers a future of real and lasting wholeness if we trust in him beyond all frustration and beyond all pain. And he did not and does not hide behind, hide those hands behind his back. He held them out to Thomas to prove to Thomas, Thomas, I love you and I am your suffering Savior. And he asked him to come to him and to believe in him and to follow him and to hold them out to people who are are today still like Thomas in doubt. People who are broken. Jesus has nothing to hide and everything to give. The hiding of Caitlyn Jenner's masculine hands show us that the way through and out of gender dysphoria cannot be to transition in our gender, but rather to hold the hold-out hands of Jesus that are scarred, who show us that there is a way through and out of all our struggles and brokenness. It is to live Matthew 11 and verse 28, to come into Him, to find forgiveness from Him, to be transformed uh, uh, through Him and forgiven by Him. Jesus says, come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So there you have it. What do you say to someone who's gender confused and they're struggling? You tell them what Andrew said. Just take your hand and you put it in the nail-scarred hand of the Savior. You have a God who's been broken for you that he can bring wholeness in your brokenness. And the truth is, dear friend, there are some of us in this world that are deeply broken, more deeply broken than others. Life is not fair. I get it. That's a reality. Some people are going to have a heavier cross to bear. But listen, there is no one, no, no one, who will ever be born, who will have a cross in which they don't have help promised in carrying it. For your God and my God, our Lord Jesus, came from heaven and took on the cross of this world that we can all come to him. We say it all the time. The ground around the the cross is level for all who come to Jesus. And it's there that Jesus says you can find rest from your labor, from your brokenness, from your hurt. And that is the good news. That we have to give a lost and broken world. Heavenly Father, this morning, perhaps someone's listening. Someone's here. And they just recognize in their own life there's a brokenness. It may not be gender brokenness, Lord. It may be some other brokenness of sin. And Lord, maybe just as someone that has struggled with such a, a heavy cross as what we've talked about this morning, there's been that thought that, Lord, this cross is too great to bear. This sin is too great to To overcome but Lord we realize now when we look back that there's nothing no nothing that we cannot Lord defeat under the the power of your blood and the power of your cross that what we can't do you are more than able to do and Lord I pray this morning that that if there's someone that that's hiding the the hands of their life behind their back that sin that weights them down, that rebellion that weighs them down, that, that, that old nature that weighs them down, that, Lord, encourage them just reach out and grab hold of your, your beautiful scarred hands. Oh, Lord God, to know that we've got a God who's scarred, who will wear the scars through eternity that speak of our redemption, that speak of our salvation, is to know that we are forever and forever and forever loved and Lord we may be rejected in this world we we may be despised in this world but you will never reject us and you will never forsake us if we come to you in faith and Lord that means to surrender in part to who we are how we were born and how you made us in your divine image And to know, God, that even in that, you have a purpose that is for our good and to your glory. Lord, today, maybe there's a Christian here that says, or a Christian listening that says, Lord, I have been that unloving Christian. I have been the one that has been defensive and met this debate with disgust and and hatred and, and bigotry. To say, Lord, oh, how... Weird that is, or what a sick person that is. But today I see, Lord, that I have been a sinner. And as deeply as someone that would accept a lie out of, out of hell itself about who they were born to be, is just to be just as guilty to, to stand with a heart of hate and bigotry towards someone who's struggling in sin. Lord, as Christians, we need to be loving as, Jesus, you are loving. Open to sinners as you were open to sinners. Honest and true about your word. But caring and loving and forgiving. So, Lord, this morning, wherever we are and wherever you want us to be, if we're not there, then, Lord, help us come to that place of repentance. A place of renewal. Holding on to your hands. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. the Lord spoken, you come, you come. It's upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, come to the cross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know and just know that we love you and God loves you and we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today.